Hello, hello, Borida. Um, welcome to the Sunday Breakfast Show with me, Beth and Way. This is my debut show today, so please bear with as I figure myself out with the music, with the jingles, with all of the different things that I'm going to do. So I'm a little bit nervous, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Today's um, topic is all about the new curriculum of Wales. Uh, I can see Nathan's joined us now. And if you haven't listened to that podcast um, with Nathan and Impact Wales, it's a really, really useful one to listen to. If you're not sure of the differences between the English curriculum or you just want a little overview of the the new curriculum for Wales, um, I listened to it the other day and it was absolutely fantastic. So get yourself onto the podcast and listen to that one. So we've got Finn and Jane from Impact Wales coming on to talk. Um, we've also then have a little chat about social media and is it a help or a hindrance? Um, I know, especially this week, there's been lots and lots of conversations in the news about TikTok, about mental health, about wellbeing. Um, so I'm hoping that'll be a lovely, interesting conversation. If you want to join in with that, don't forget to log in on your Podbean app and text in on the show. And we'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, so first off, I'm going to start a little bit about me um, while I'm waiting for Finn and Jane to, to join us. My name is Beth and Way. I've been teaching for 13 years. I'm currently on maternity leave uh, with a six-month little boy. I'm a key stage two leader, as you can tell by my accent. I teach in Wales. I've always taught in Wales, so the curriculum for Wales is really interesting to me. I think interesting to a lot of teachers in, in our position. Um, it's very vague, has a lot of guidance, it's very exciting, it's very innovative. Um, but as I said, it's quite vague. We've got so much guidance to get through. <clears throat> We've sort of been given free reign, um, and then sometimes that can cause a little bit of fear, maybe, I think is the right word. Um, so, yes, I am a Kisitu leader in Wales. Um, I am on Instagram. That is how I've come across Teachers Talk Radio. I'm new to Twitter. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love Teachergram. Oh, I can see Tom Rogers is joining us. Good morning. Hello. Hello, Joe. All these people are coming to cheer me on. My nerves, I'm sure, will dissipate very, very quickly the minute I start chatting. Um, so, yes, welcome, welcome to the show. Um, the first thing we're going to chat about was the, the curriculum for Wales, but I can't quite see um, where Finn and Jane are. So I might start off with looking at social media unless, let me just double check. In fact, while we're doing that, I will play the news, hopefully.
Okay, so no one can hear the news. I can, um, but uh, I'm not sure why we can't hear that one. Let's have a little look. Um, if I can try something else. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Oh, just I'm mean, just calling for this show just so you can hear somebody absolutely <laughs> teachers talk radio. Um, no, I can't do it. Fab. Okay, thanks, Tom. <laughs> okay, so uh, Jane and Finola can't see them, so let's hope that they they join us soon. Um, I'm sure it'll be absolutely fine. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about social media, um, whether it be a help or a hindrance. And if Jane and Finn come on, I will add them in and we'll we'll have a little chat and finish that. Um, so social media, help or hindrance. I've done a little bit of research on um, teachers on social media. 89% of our teachers are on Facebook. Um, I imagine that is a personal account on groups and um, inform, uh, inf information groups, the private groups or, or public groups. Um, Thirty percent of teachers are on Twitter. Me not being one of the thirty percent until very recently, and seventeen percent of teachers are on Instagram. Now I think that may be more to do with NQT's trainees. Um, that it was a surge on 2020. I can see Finn has just joined. Uh, let's just see how to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. Let me see. Oh, Finn, if you could try and call in again, that would be amazing. I don't, I can't. Ah, there we go. Got you. Hopefully that's worked. Hi, Finn. Can you hear me okay? Oh, I can. Brilliant. You've literally, I feel like you're an angel sent from heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've literally managed to mess everything up. <laughs> no, I'm oh, here. And I know that Jane is on her way as well. Oh, fabulous, fabulous. I will um, keep an eye out for her. Thank you so much, Finn, for coming to talk to me. That's perfectly okay. How are you this morning? I am good. I'm much better that you're here now. All my audio is messing up. Um, but yes, Joe did such a fantastic job of showing me how all this works. And I feel like I've let him down massively because <laughs> I uh, I can't get anything to work. But never mind. It's it's here. You're here. Jane is yes. just coming in now as well. So she should be joining us too. Um, hi, Jane. Can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? Oh, fantastic, fantastic. I feel like we're on a roll now. <laughs> We've got Sunday morning gremlins, I think, between us all. I know, I think I, I just haven't had enough coffee, maybe. I think <laughs> that might be... <laughs> we're here, that's all that matters. 
thank you and thank you so much i've just said thank you to finn um bored are both um do you want to discuss a little bit about yourself i did say that you've already been on teachers talk radio with nathan but that was more of a generic chat about curriculum for wales um so people that don't know impact wales and don't know you would you just be able to just tell us a little bit about yourself shall i do that jane go on you do it so much better than me <laughs> I don't know about that. Anyway, we are, uh, between the two of us, we are Impact Wales. Um, there's just the two of us. And we're both former teachers ourselves. Um, and now we're, we're working with schools across the UK, uh, mm -hmm. a lot of them in Wales, quite a few in Scotland as well with Curriculum for Excellence. I can but imagine, we, uh, yeah. Help, we help teachers um, improve, we help schools improve. So whatever the problem is, um, or whatever they want to focus on, that's what we go in and help support them with, with research-informed, high-quality, bespoke support. Great. Um, and I know that you've touched upon that as well with Nathan. If anybody wants to listen back on the podcast, um, you know, you really spoke about how you use sketch notes um, to sort of sort of collate a lot of information into a picture, you know, and, and, and things like that. So I know you've talked um, a lot about that. And definitely, I would recommend listening to it, as well as your podcasts on your website. I listened to a few of them the other night, and um, they're really informative. And also, really, you're both really easy to listen to, which is quite nice. You know, sometimes you end up on the podcast, and you're like, oh, right, okay, skip. <laughs> you know, but no, you're both really, really easy to listen to. So I've got to say that. Oh, that's well, really thank nice you very much. What, what's really funny is that we, it, we end up just, it's just us having a chat. Yeah, that's what I got. It was just really nice. <laughs> And it, and it was something that, that only came about through lockdown. We, we, we got to the point where we realised that we, that we still needed to connect with everybody and doing a podcast yeah. was the one way. We've just on the back of the week we've just had, we've recorded four this week. So we're all just a little bit podcasted out, aren't we, Finn? But they're great. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry. On, we did two on Friday afternoon, both brilliant podcasts. But it, yeah, it was it's a little bit much towards the end of the week. Right, Friday afternoon podcast with Prosecco, I hope. <laughs> with guests. Uh, no, unfortunately, <laughs> we were in the office, so it's just tea. Oh, well, I think a Friday Friday evening one would be interesting, wouldn't there? With the, you know. Um, Definitely. But <laughs> basically, I've, I've sort of had a little think myself about curriculum for Wales. And um, at the beginning of the show, I did say, as you've mentioned, it's very similar to the curriculum for excellence in Scotland. So our Scottish listeners will be quite familiar with that. Um, I know I've had quite a lot of Welsh teachers message me um, just for support and saying, great, we really need to have some sort of clarification. I'm really looking forward to the show. Um, so, you know, the English listeners will be still be useful to them because it's, it's it's interesting, I think, a lot to a lot of people. I live in um, Caldicott, which is just on the border to Bristol. So some of my friends teach in England and, and obviously I teach in Wales. And the conversations we have is like, oh, I wish I had that curriculum. I wish I could be that innovative. I wish I had that freedom. But at the same time, you know, with it being innovative, with it being engaging, child-centred, amazing, it does also become a little bit vague when we've got such a substantial amount of guidance I mean lots of different approaches testing which uh, for our English listeners are the um our version of offset we you know we're sort of encouraged to do innovative things and trial and error and um, I think that also provides a little bit of fear for teachers as well of well we've, we're doing this but we're not sure if it's right and um, would you say that's the same sort of thing as you get with, from school with, 
with great responsibility, uh, sorry, mm. with great freedom, becomes uh, great responsibility. And mm. that's, that's the thing with the curriculum for Wales. It's not actually a curriculum on its own. It's a curriculum framework. So the, the task ahead of teachers in Wales is to turn that framework into their own local curriculum. And I know that we did a, a podcast with um, James McEnany from Scotland. And of course, Curriculum for Excellence has been up in Scotland for mm. um, over 20 years now. No, over 10 years. Sorry. And yeah. um, he was talking about all of the work that teachers needed to do in order to make sure that their curriculum framework was turned into their own local curriculum and it is a lot of work you know that as you say it's great that we've got all this freedom to choose what content you want to teach how you want to teach it what's appropriate for the children in your school in your class but mm. there's there's that's a big job for all teachers especially just right now with covid yeah yeah and mistakes as well isn't it because we want to make it right for the pupils that we've got in front of us 100 percent to get it wrong so there is that pressure. I know we've got accountability as the other pressure, but I think the ultimately it's, it's we want to make what we're doing in the classroom right for the pupils in front of us now. We don't want to have this generation going through that might have maybe missed bits or have had a completely different experience that isn't as as, as good as the, what, what they would have had before. Mm. And like you said, with, with COVID, um, how broken F our years have been. It's almost like I know in my own school, we sort of put something in place, then COVID's taken over and we're like, right, okay, we have to rejig everything now. Now, should we revisit it? Should, now we've learned more from that but previous time, should we put more um, technology in DCF? You know, we could be really driving this now that we're upskilled on this. You know, it's almost like constant revisiting and revisiting. But I'm not sure if curriculum for Wales is going to be that, uh, you know, always because you know if you're putting purpose at the heart of curriculum design you know what is need you know I know that you say quite a lot what is needed as a focus for the children in this school in your school I mean children change and children throughout the years change so is curriculum design going to be a, a rolling process um as years go on and, and the children's needs change well, I, th I it think is, it is. Yes. I, yeah. I, I think curriculum is, is never is never constant. It is always moving, depending on what, what what's happening around you, and what ha what's happening with the pupils in front of you. But I think the framework that you work within will be static, but it's what you're doing, what your priorities with your pupils will shift slightly um, from cohort to cohort, from year to year. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it, that um, it's prioritising because you know, learning, good learning from one year to another has some commonality. You're not going to have to be reinventing the wheel every single year because, you know, children, um, they are different. Obviously, they're all unique, but they're not so different that they need an entirely um, changed curriculum um, every year. So there's going to be some commonalities year on year, but there's also going to need to be some prioritising maybe one year, particularly post-COVID, it's oracy, which is um, a big priority, and, and vocabulary and reading, and those are the things that you want to focus on. But maybe 10 years from now, numeracy or social relationships, mm -hmm. those are going to be the things that you need to have more at the forefront. So it's, it's, about, it's not about changing entirely. It's about those tweaks and changes to the priorities. Yeah. It's also yeah. remembering that those things, we've, we've taught those since you know, year dot, so it's not as if they're new, mm. but it's just we're reprioritizing and just shifting the focus slightly for, for where we are now. 
Yeah, I think that's a really useful um, tip for anyone listening, thinking, I don't really know where to start. Um, you know, the word priority, you know, we can't do everything in, in every sense of teaching, whether you're in England, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, you know, or just a teacher NQT for 10 years. We can't always do everything. We have to always prioritise. So, I mean, it's nothing new for the curriculum as well. It is. And if you think about what learning actually is as well, I mean, there's some, a really fantastic piece of research, David Orsabell's um what we we um what we uh, learn oh sorry it's a sunday morning <laughs> we learn what we already know what we already uh, what we learn is determined by what we already know got there right mm-hmm. okay yeah. so this piece of research basically says that um learning is hierarchical that mm. you can't learn um higher order skills until you have the foundations really mastered effectively so i yeah. think that um, when you think about the curriculum framework, yes, there's a, um, there's a lot in it. Um, it. It is really all exciting, but there is no point going to those, you know, um, detailed, specific, higher order concepts unless you have the foundations really mastered. So in terms of where people should start, it should be um, the foundational skills and making sure that pupils can read effectively, that they're articulate, mm-hmm. they've got a wide vocabulary, that they understand their times tables, that they've got what's required to access the curriculum to start off with and that you know they they can get on with their classmates while they're doing that those are the kinds of things that you'd be looking at if you're looking at your whole school priorities you'd be thinking about well what's essential to improve so that pupils can access the curriculum and then could excel and move on to those higher order skills and um, learning yeah and i sorry on that with the with the reading aspect i mean we're both you know, mainly from come back from a from a secondary um, yeah. teaching career, uh, and having children that arrive in year seven, year eight that are struggling mm. with the curriculum, you know, let's let's make sure we get those basics really, really solid, so that that they can then move on because they can access the curriculum. I think that's that's the key thing. It's about accessibility, and we did a really interesting podcast back in. I think the summer, but I think it came out in September with Tracy Jones from Merthlin um, Primary up in North Wales. And it was mm. fascinating to see how she's um, really focused on making sure that all of her pupils can read effectively by the time they leave. And I thought that was a, a real eye opener, wasn't it, Finn? It was, yeah, yeah. And she'd done some really fantastic work up there. And it's something that I think as we're looking at curriculum for Wales and we're looking at your own local curriculum, it's, it's looking at what is the priority in your school for your pupils and then making sure that they've got mastered the foundations of what they need to access the curriculum yeah yeah I think sometimes in schools we do tend to go well, we haven't got time for that come on you should know this now we've got to j- jump onto this and jump onto this higher order and get these level sixes obviously we won't be worried about that with them um, but in my past you know that's always been especially as a year six teacher come on come on come on we need to do this we need to do this yeah. but I was just saying let's, let's focus on the basics we need to move away from curriculum coverage, mm. which is where we've always been, and move towards deep learning and make sure pupils really have mastered. Um, you know, the idea of mastery is really, really yeah. important. Don't move them on until they've really got it. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Um, so we're going to be discussing a few of the best bets for practice. Obviously, we've, we've had a few little tips already. Um, I know that I've had some burning questions as well from both Instagram and Twitter. I did mention previously, I am quite new to Twitter, um, but I've got quite a few questions from Instagram. 
Um, so I thought if we just have a little look at uh, good practice for curriculum design first, um, we have touched upon it already, it will be a fluid as cohorts change and we will be prioritising different things. Um, and I think when we've looked at curriculum design, it's more so what and how they're going to teach um, rather than I think what I'm... <laughs> I think people get um, caught up when I've spoken to people like, well, how do I do this area of learning? What do I do for this? How, well, am I, how am I going to map this? Um, and it is those first questions you have to ask yourselves as, as staff and SMT, what and how you're going to teach. I, I think it needs to step a little bit further away from that. And I think you've got to ask yourself the question, why? Why are we doing yeah. that? And because there's lots of things that we do do at the moment that we think, well, you know, what is the purpose? Why do our pupils actually need this and if they don't need it, mm. it's not serving a purpose then we shouldn't really be doing it we should need to go back and think about well why and once you've got your why and your rationale then the how and the what will, will come from that but I think at the moment it, there is so much out there you need to have a starting point and know why it is that you, you, you're doing it because time is precious yeah can can we give you an example of, of what that might look like? Because I think it's that would be amazing. Difficult, mm. yeah. When you when you're talking in sort of um, uh, theoretical, it's quite difficult to imagine yeah. what it would look like in your school. We did some work with a school in um, I don't know exactly where it is. Jenny would know better than me. Trinum Primary, um, mm. and they um, they had done just like you were saying, had done quite a lot of work for curriculum for Wales, and then COVID hit. And, the, you know, we started working with them just as pupils were beginning to come back into school. And we're like, oh, well, should we should we carry on with what we were doing? Should we do something different? And the first thing that we did was sit down with them and just say, right, OK, what are the priorities for your pupils? What do you think they need the most before they can eat, really start learning in depth? And they were talking about things like um socialization had been lost they you know they're mm. really having contact with their friends so that their social relationships are really important but things like confident and confidence and resilience and they also said you know oracy had always been a, an issue within the school but now even more so because they had a, a they were seeing a, a children who weren't, weren't as articulate even as they were before covid and of course thinking about oracy and and speaking you don't just speak with words you think with words so if you have fewer words to explain how you feel to yourself then you know you're you're better uh, less able to cope with those feelings and and work through them so it's really important to work out well, why are we teaching the things that we're teaching so they worked out that they needed a vocab rich curriculum they needed an oracy rich curriculum one that uh, focused in on working collaboratively, team uh, turn-taking, working in teams, all of those things. So then they were able to look at their topics and go, okay, so this topic that we're doing on, let's say the Romans, does it give us all of the opportunities that we need to be vocabulary rich, to have all of that group work, <coughs> excuse me, to actually have an opportunity to build social relationships? Mm, probably not. So let's look yeah. at changing that topic but make sure that all of our topics fit in with the ones before and the ones after. So it's not just, well, in year three, I've always done this, so I fancy doing this again. And then yeah. in year five, they're repeating it. So you've got to have that sequenced, coherent curriculum, which you know that you want really articulate, confident um, children coming out at the end of year six, 
So where does that start in foundation phase? And that's the process that they were going through is thinking about what their priorities are, looking at their topics, mapping all their topics out, saying, do they build sequentially on what has gone before? If not, can we reorder or tweak them so that we've got this really coherent step-by-step -step approach to curriculum that actually focuses in on the priorities and has the opportunities to develop the priorities we know are there? I think that's yeah. the one thing that we're finding with with quite a few of the schools that not all of them, but some of the schools we're working with that they've they've got their topics and then they're trying to see what they can fit into the topic. But it's back to front. Yeah. You need to start thinking about what it is you want to do and then what best topic will help you achieve that. And then having that coherence, having that whole school overview to make sure that everything does build up from right the way down in nursery foundation year six through then into year seven, eight and, and, and secondary school. Yeah. I, I can just say that it is really, really easy or really, um, um, in, uh, you know, it, it's when you think about curriculum for Wales, the tendency is to go, oh, right, I've got to teach this. It's got to be good. I've got to make mm -hmm. sure that I cover everything that I've, you know, that somebody walks in my classroom and I can say, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done all this. And I think there is a tendency because of the educational culture that we live in, because people are to a certain extent looking over their shoulder, thinking who's going to be yeah. picking up on what I'm doing, that there is a I must get this right. I must jump into the nitty gritty immediately mm. But by stepping back and thinking about the why am I prioritizing this? It allows you to even before you step into the nitty gritty saying, well, which parts of the nitty gritty do I start with? So as, a, yeah. you know, as an English teacher, if oracy is an issue, then I would start with the uh, the speaking and listening element of language HC and communication. So it gives me that this is how I'm going to set into the nitty gritty. But I think a lot of people, I know that a lot of schools are even thinking about breaking down the, um, the descriptions of learning in between mm. progression steps, but without knowing why they're doing it yeah it's you know that's a lot of work because as you say there are yes. so many descriptions of learning if you did that for all of them probably yeah a good few years just to get that done so you know we we don't the children in our care don't have time for us to do that we need to be doing it from their perspective making it learner-centered because it's so important that curriculum for wales works for the children who are currently in school yeah and I think anybody that's listening and thinks gosh I am doing that I'm breaking down progression steps as part of my AOL team um you know why is it that everyone knows what to do and I don't you know it is like we've said before so much guidance um things were dripped out you know DCF first and then you know sort of the curriculum for Wales had a little bit of training here on this, a little bit of training here on that, and um, then more guidance coming out. Um, we've been waiting for the assessment guidance um, for a while. You know, um, I think please have faith in in yourself. I mean, schools are doing it totally differently, um, but uh, you know, you guys, same as same as I, have, have a lot more time now to really get to grips with curriculum for Wales. It, as you said it's fast-paced in schools we don't have time to look at the nitty-gritty and I think sometimes head teachers make a decision um perhaps from a head teachers meeting or oh, we're all going to do this in the cluster um and it doesn't I mean the beauty of curriculum for Wales is that it's open and you know we can we can do what we like but yeah, I think sometimes as you said people get want to get straight in that nitty-gritty because 
we have this instilled fear in us of, well, when am I going to be checked up on this? Like, what what are they going to want to see? We don't know what they want to see. Um, so, yeah, I can understand why people feel a little bit scared of, of perhaps not getting the whole... They think that it's like a catch-you-out catch culture, I suppose. Isn't it? I think it's also looking at what you've got in your curriculum that you do really well. Yeah. It needs to stay. And, I, and, it, and it's not a case of this whole new curriculum, everything's being thrown out, you know, at the end of the day, I come from a maths background. Maths is still maths. We still need to build the mathematical skills in the same way. Um, mm. you know, one on top of it, you get their coherence because that's the way the subject is put together. But I think there's certain things that you would say, all right, we don't need to do this, but we do this element mm. really, really well. So let's keep that and then build around that. What doesn't work? What do our pupils lack by the time they get to year six that we need to make sure we've built in right the way from foundation phase? Yeah. And I think also going back to what you were saying about, you know, living in a culture where you feel a little bit like you're looking over your shoulder and seeing who's going to be checking up on you. I mean, this is this is the culture that is not, that we teachers haven't created this culture. It's not what teachers necessarily want. It is this comes from Welsh government. It comes from um, the bodies that Welsh government funds, consortia, local authorities, you know, all of the best in all of those that middle tier section and what Welsh government asked them to do and yeah. one of the reasons why um, assessment is such a big issue in in Wales at the moment is because we don't have enough information about it we don't mm. know how it's going to work in practice what's going to be connected with accountability if anything is going to be connected with accountability and I think the best way to cope with the fact that we don't know is actually to put blinkers on and say well I don't know what that's going to look like so there's no point in in focusing in on the accountability side of it it's yeah you know, if you're assessing your curriculum you need to assess what's in your curriculum so rather than breaking down the descriptions of learning into little mini steps in between is to start with what are you going to teach you know, yeah. if you're going to teach um oracy to year three and you're going to use you know a, a class reader or a you're going to use the outdoors to do that then focus on what is the end of that learning what what should pupils be able to do how well and in what context once mm. you know that then you can go back to the descriptions of learning and think about well how do they help me decide what i should be assessing in in what i'm teaching so it's it's using the curriculum framework to do what you know the pupils need as opposed to doing what the curriculum wants you to do and then worrying about what pupils need it's just but, uh, you know, just changing the order because this is a learner centred curriculum. So start with what the learners need and start with what you're going to teach. And I think yeah. it's easy to get bogged down with assessment. And I think when we're talking about assessments, we're always thinking about the high stakes, so those summative end of year, you know, the GCSEs and those type of assessments. But remember, assessment is much, much more broader than that. And what we're talking more about is the formative assessment, what's going on in the classroom day by day and it might even it's not you know it might be things that aren't even recorded it might just be listening to somebody say all oh, right you've got it and and, mm. and that type of assessment is really really important and to make sure that those elements are all built in yeah yeah um i'm gonna um move on now to um schools as learning organizations because i think curriculum design I love the um, example you've gave, gave, and I think a lot of teachers, to, to hear an example of the school you visited, um, you know, with the RSE, I think that 
that will echo a lot of the needs in a lot of different schools. So it's, it's quite nice to hear it and think, oh, yeah, actually, that is what I should be doing. And um, so curriculum design, we've talked about schools as learning organisations. Now, obviously, um, from from what I gather from this, from what I've spoken to from people, um, this is the sort of in-house training, being part of professional learning communities on Hub, um, for, for the English, um, Scottish and Irish listeners, um, Hub is our online learning platform that has resources for teaching, um, but also professional learning opportunities and webinars. Um, so being part of that learning community on, on Hub and taking the pedagogical principles and exploring these and sharing them with staff. Is there anything else that you would say to our listeners, you know, this is what you should be thinking about for schools as learning organisations? One of the things that I think is really important to note is the the schools as learning organisations model is um, obviously is absolutely makes sense that mm. as schools we should be learning organisations. But the the survey that goes with it it relies on really effective self evaluation. So mm. if you haven't quite got handle on exactly what's going on in your school or how that really looks in a classroom, you might be heading down. Um, an evaluation that isn't quite right and I know that we've worked in, uh, we walked into um, schools where we've had discussions about uh, their survey and what they feel they need as a result of their survey and we've talked to them about their school and said, oh, that's probably not your first priority so we, that that's one thing with it the other thing with schools as learning organizations I think we're what we're talking about here is obviously learning goes on in the classroom for the children but learning should be going on for the staff and professional learning is all about making sure that staff are empowered with the right knowledge, the right information, the right learning themselves so that they can make really effective choices in the classroom so that their uh, teaching and the learning that happens is super, super effective. So this is about um, thinking from a, the perspective of the teacher. What is it that we need to focus on? Um, in the first instance, what is going to have the greatest impact in the, the shortest amount of time for the pupils in front of me? And I think that a lot of that will come from um, teachers um, identifying themselves. Well, I have this problem. For example, I've got these boys at the back of my class and they just don't engage with anything and they're not listening and I can't mm. get them to focus. And, you know, when I talk to them directly about it, they're OK, but their written work is just not happening. And digging down and finding out, well, what is the problem there? And it might well be that those boys actually are struggling really with reading. So that, yeah. you know, that their issue is that they're not able to engage with, in, you know, reading a text or finding out what the question is. And they're using lots of strategies and they're kicking off as a result. And in fact, that may be an issue in other classes as well. It may not just be those boys in that class. So I, this is the, the job of the whole school is to sit down and say, right, what do we feel the issue is within our school that, that if we dealt with it would have you know, the biggest impact in terms of learning and really move children on? What data do we have? What information do we have about our, um, our anecdotal understanding, you know, how true that is, what the real problem is? And then is this a problem? you know, um, cohort-wide? Is it a problem for a particular group? What, what? So it's, it's kind of being a bit of a detective and saying, mm. what do we feel the issue is? Then what can we do about it? And once you know what the issue is, 
it's then thinking about, well, what research is going to help me identify what the best bets are in this situation? So, for example, going back to the, the idea that reading might be an issue, you know, if it was, say, a, a year two class, it might be that you think, right, well, we didn't do um, the reading really effectively and we've got pupils who are effectively non-functional readers. So maybe we need to look at what the best bets for reading are and synthetic phonics is something that would make a big difference. So let's explore that and think about you know, how that might work in our school. So it's that kind of approach, you know, being a detective and identifying what's going to have the biggest difference. Yeah, and I'm assuming that would then feed into your curriculum design, you know, and, and, and help you with the questions we discussed previously. Absolutely. Everything comes back to learner needs. So mm. what is it our learners need the most to move on? And then let's create a curriculum that addresses those needs. It's almost like the triangulation we've got in class anyway of, you know, planning, uh, delivering, reflecting, planning, delivering, reflecting. It's the same sort of thing with the curriculum design, really. And, you know, what, what do we need for the learners? Let's research. and Let's put this into the curriculum design when we're happy with it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's it. Um, Fab, Jane, um, is there anything you want to add? I'm quite conscious because there's two of you. I just want to... No, that's all right. Finn always does <laughs> she, she's far more articulate than me, especially on a Sunday morning. I, I was just going to say, it's, it's, we've, we've done a lot of work with, with schools over the, particularly through the pandemic, but before that as well, with, um, with curriculum design and how responsive teachers can be in the classroom. And I think that, that builds into what, what Finn was saying is about this, these trialing and then being as responsive as possible because mm. your curriculum needs to be as flexible as possible because you need to go with what, what the learners are doing. And how much they're achieving at that particular time yeah yeah so it's it's um there's a really good point jane i've forgotten about that but it's making sure that you don't plan out an entire year in detail in advance because mm. something might happen in the middle of the year or pupils may respond in a way you're not expecting and then yeah. all of that time and effort is wasted it's having you know that sort of um 60 curriculum that you know roughly what you're going to do but there's still plenty of space to mm. follow the learning down a particular path or to think right I need to go back and look at that that misconception that they're showing me in again in a little bit more detail so that's the real advantage of curriculum for Wales we are no longer tied to this highly prescriptive curriculum where you have to cover everything it's about what your children need so yeah. having space and giving yourself space to have to, to be able to address what they need. And I think now that Estin are back out in schools and, um, you know, starting to, to look at what schools are doing and where they are on their journey, I think the more and more um, people have good experiences of Estin going, oh, actually, we were just really self-aware as where we were on our journey. We told them what we were starting to do. We are adapting to learning. Um, and we actually had a, a good experience of, of an inspection. I mean, OK, dream world that those words have come out of people's mouths. But... I think the fear is Estin and the fear people are coming in. And I think when you realise that actually Estin are always looking at how self-aware are you as a school, <laughs> you know, and, and seeing where you are on your journey before curriculum for Wales, um, hopefully that will start to make other schools think, oh, right, OK, actually, yeah, you know, this is OK. I can, you know, we can just have a 60% curriculum idea. We can be adaptive. It is about where we are on the journey. It is about the why and then, you know, feeding in. And, and this is where we are. We hold our hands and we're trying to do a good job. I think it's also remembering that who are we in 
who are we in education for? We're in education mm. for the pupils, not for us. Mm. Mm. It's having that focus. And I know, yes, it, it, it's easy to say, isn't it? Essen is still there. Yeah. going to come in. But yeah. we're there for our pupils. And if we know why we're doing things for our pupils and we can articulate, well, this is why we're doing it. Yeah. Then surely Estin, with the experience that they've got, can see the rationale behind what you're doing. You know, yeah. power is back to the school, you know, subsidiarity. It's keeping it as close. The teacher at the end of the day in that classroom know, knows what the needs of the pupils are better than anybody else. So it's it's being able to put that trust back in the profession. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we really should be all working towards the same goal, which is yeah. making sure that children are leaving school in a better situation than they, they started school. And until we see um, the pilot of the Eston inspection, which is starting in um, January uh, mm. for volunteers, they're asking for volunteers at the moment, until we see exactly what's going on with that, what, what it turns out, what it's like, it's very, very difficult to know um, how the the whole process is going to work but certainly we've got the the um uh, draft framework out there already the inspection framework yeah. um and it'll be interesting to see how that develops but yes well i mean we absolutely should all be working towards the same goal so let, let's let's hope that all the inspectors have uh, are clear on that as well let's hope they listen to this Finn and Jane, you know when you get in the oh indeed <laughs> um so i'm just going to move on to the last uh, topic that i want to talk about in terms of practice and it's the progression side of things um so again i've sort of talked to, to others and, and sort of seen what the gist of the idea is it's basically understanding pupils um your pupils specifically and confident in your own teacher assessment your own school's teacher assessment looking more as you said earlier deepening understanding and application of skills um the broad range i can't hear you Oh, sorry. Uh, I'll just check. Is that is that okay? Is, can you hear me yeah, now? I can hear you yeah. now. It's just that you were yeah. you must have been turning away from your microphone. I can only talk a bit. Sorry. Um, so yeah. So it's more about the understanding of your pupils, feeding into that triangulation. You know of why you are doing something, how and what you're going to teach. Um, confident in your own teacher's assessment. And looking at that deepening understanding, the application of skills, a broad range of experiences and getting those fundamentals sorted before everything else. Yeah, and, and with progression, you know, it's, it's going back to what we said before about once you have a clear, um, clearly articulated learning objective, so you know what pupils are going to um, learn, you know what they will be able to do, how well, in what context. It becomes much, much more straightforward to assess whether they've got there or not. Yeah. And even better would be if you had exemplification of those processes. And I know this is something that we talked to um, James McEnany up in Scotland. And this is something that teachers in Scotland with curriculum for excellence would have loved and um, wished were there. And I know that there was um, talk of it happening here in Wales, exemplifying what it means to be um, able to understand what you've read for example uh, progression step one or progression step two and I don't know whether I know that was a tender in Wales for the um, higher ed um, institutions to create exemplification materials for each A or E but I haven't seen anything come out and this was no. uh, I think a couple of years ago but COVID. yeah I mean what what schools should be thinking about is if you don't know what it is that your children are 
learning or what they are supposed to be able to do or understand or know and how well in what context, then it's almost impossible to assess, which is why the descriptions of learning, you can't really assess directly against them in all areas of learning and experience. Mm. Things like maths and science are a little bit easier, but certainly expressive arts, humanities, language, literacy and communication, some of them are really difficult. You know, how would you say um, there's, there's one progression step, I use it as an example of the time that says, um, I can understand what I have read. Well, how would you yeah. know that a child has understood what they've read? You, you know, ideally, you'd like open their head and look in and see the little light bulb go on. Yeah, oh, yeah great. They've understood it. But it's, it's not it's not like that. So what you would do, any teacher would do is you, you'd ask them a question and they tell you what their understanding of what they could read they've read is but actually that's only ever a proxy for learning that's not being able to see whether they really fully understood it or not it's actually um assessing uh, whether they can describe what they've learned or describe mm. what they've understood so it's only ever a proxy for learning and i think it's really important that when you're thinking about progression you're thinking about what's my end goal what's the kind of the, the point at which I need to work backwards from to think about what I need to do in the in those steps before they are able to understand what they've read. And it may be that you need to then break that down into little mini learning objectives. And I think that's where the breaking down of the descriptions of learning uh, becomes more um, pertinent because you're, you're taking a description of learning, you're thinking about, okay, can I understood what they've read? Well, we've read I don't know, um, we've read um, a, a story recently, the Gruffalo, and I want them to understand what they've uh, read about the Gruffalo, but I want them to understand um, how the story finishes, why it gets to that point. So it's a very specific mm. um, progression for those children in that school with that book and that content. So that's where you see the progress, and that's yeah. where the assessment comes in, as opposed to directly against the curriculum. I, yeah. I think from the, the, some of the discussions we've had, I know there's been quite a few threads on on the Facebook curriculum group as well. It's people are, are very much focused on how are we going to track it and record it, and I think that's a couple of steps down down the road. I think you can't think about tracking and record it if you don't actually know what it is you want to uh, assess. Yeah, yeah, no, and as we're saying, all of this is is feeding into then again the curriculum design. You know, is this is this how we want I feel almost that teachers feel a little bit more uh, confident with the progression and the teacher assessment side of things because we haven't had stats and we haven't had um you know that sort of assessment for a long time. It has been quite a lot of teacher assessment at the end of the year, standardization mod um moderations. I think there's that perhaps a little bit perhaps more confident in, in this area, maybe. Um yeah, as you said, something yeah. that it's something that teachers and schools need to get really comfortable with first yeah. before they start thinking about the shared understanding of progression and what that looks like across a school or across a, um, a cluster or across a region is yeah. knowing what it looks like in your school, in your class, with your curriculum first before you can start thinking about it more widely. Yeah. Um, so in terms of obviously we've touched upon these best bets. Um, it's been really useful for me, Finn and Jane. So, so thank you so much for that. I'm, I'm sure the listeners as well will be. I am very much a learner of, you know, I like having examples because, as you said, the, the 
theory, the guidance we've got, you know, when you actually look at it applied and, and as an example, it's just so much clearer. Um, so I'm hoping that the, the listeners will, will feel the same. But I've got three questions for you. I mean, the first one is uh, <laughs> a true or false question <laughs> for you both. Um, Scotland is given an extra one and a half hours to teachers uh, to spend time on their professional learning for curriculum fractions. True or false? So I'm, I'm assuming this person wants to know. <laughs> rather than a true or false well, you. Yeah, well, uh, that's that's not something that um, we can answer because um, I'm not mm. sure, to be honest, whether they're actually doing. But I know that when we spoke to James McEnany from Scotland and the OECD report yeah, on curriculum for excellence, it right. was a recommendation that they needed to reduce the contact time because teachers in Scotland have some of the highest contact time in the OECD. So mm. that is absolutely something that they need to focus on. I don't know what the um, uh, how that compares with teachers in Wales, but I mean, you know, it's just a bottom line. Um, yeah. If we're going to create this massive curriculum reform, this is something that always comes up. Mm. More time, you know. Yeah. I, I think it, it would it would be if um, Jeremy Miles said, "Yep, yeah, you can have an hour and a half extra um, non-contact time in order to do curriculum design." I think that. I don't think there's anybody who would say, oh, no, I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Um, so we we, um, we can't answer true or false, but thank you for, well, I mean, that's interesting, surely, to, to everybody to think, mm, perhaps, as you said, it might need to go right down that route for curriculum reform. Um, I've had another one. Where do I start with leading an AOLE? Uh, I, this is a... Yeah, God, yeah. It's a difficult... I think <laughs> if you're in... If you're in secondary, you've got a much broader group of people that you can discuss with. And mm. I think the worst thing you can do is, is approach an early on your own. But I think in primary, you might be the only person in charge. Yeah. Of early. Um, but I think it is about having that conversation with everybody. OK, let's unpick this together. What does it mean for you? What do we mean by these? You know, what do the what matters statements mean for our pupils here in our school and start by thinking about breaking it down and bringing everybody on board rather than uh, plowing ahead. But it's also how it does that fit into the whole school priority and how the whole school map. And it's only once you've got that overarching view that you can start to break down and work within AOLEs. Yeah, and I think where schools are, I think Nathan's just said, and, and in small schools as well, um, where when we were sort of given the curriculum, lots of people have bypassed that curriculum design why and straight into straight into right you are AOLE humanities you need to break it down now and get us a nice progression code and you know all of this that and the other so we know what we're teaching thank you humanities teacher you know and it's not about that anymore no and it, anyway, I, I think can I just add sorry uh, I was just going to add that um, in um, small schools this is where um networking with schools outside of you know just your group of teachers is and um, this is where clusters and getting onto social media and asking other people mm -hmm. um, how they're approaching it but getting some expertise from subject specialists as well you know working with your secondary school and not mm -hmm. just going on social media going oh look i have been given um you know the expressive arts aoe what are you doing with this it's mm -hmm. thinking about um we know that expressive arts uh, in our school is going to be so important for raising confidence. Is anybody else thinking about that element of it? So being a little bit more 
focused yeah. in what it is that you want to do with it what what i'd say with primary in particular is don't just stop at progression step three look to see where the journey is going up to progression yeah. step five you know look at where the end point is and look at what you're doing so don't see progression step three as the end five is the end and vice yeah. versa in secondary go to progression step one look at where it's come from and look at the whole journey which is why it's so important to be working together as a cluster because you want the continuity of learning from year six into year seven to be as smooth as possible i know it's difficult when you've got secondaries that have got lots of feeder schools to try mm. and get that but if you've got that core running through then it makes the, you know, it makes the end point that much more achievable yeah and hopefully transition will be a little bit smoother and schools can start working a little bit more with primaries again because that sort of fell off with covid rightly so but um i think that that would be a, a, a huge benefit to, to I can, secondary and primary i can certainly say as a as a secondary maths i taught maths and secondary for a long time that having conversations with primary colleagues you really do think about the very you know the fundamental you know they are the experts at teaching number bonds uh, you know and all that the, the aspect of number you build everything on when you by the time you get to secondary you're not really concerned about that you're not really taught about that in in mm. uh, teacher training you tend to look at more of the higher you know the the grade c and above the, the more complex mathematics and i think it's having that understanding of basics and i know finn will say something the same about reading the secondary teachers oh, are not taught anything about teaching people pupils to read but mm. in a situation where we still need to have those skills yeah, 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 and that's a great. You get children coming up to secondary school who are still struggling with reading, and as secondary teachers, you know, we wouldn't want it that way. But mm -hmm. absolutely, knowing how the primary schools are uh, approaching that problem and being able to work together with them is so important. Yeah. It's a great professional development thing to do, regardless of a new curriculum, anyway, to look where children are coming from and going to. And um, I'm going to you've almost sort of led into my next segment now of touching upon social media so i'm going to have a go at um playing an advert but as my music wasn't really working i may have to read it out are you both okay to stay with me and have a little chat about social media help or hindrance yeah we are yes fabulous uh, i'm just going to try this advert and if not i will give my dulcet tones a good Okay, I'm going to read out this advert as it's not working. One of the sponsors of this show is Oxford University Press. If you need support with your phonics teaching, Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programmes to help you. Read Write Inc, Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well quickly using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with the letters and sounds more effective. To find out more about these programmes and receive support from your OUP expert local educational consultant, visit www.oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Okie dokie. That's the first time I've ever done an advert, I think. So um, hopefully it sounded very professional. 
Um, so yeah, social media help or hindrance. Now, I did touch upon this at the beginning of the show. Um, 39% of our teachers are on Facebook, 30% are on Twitter, and 17% are on Instagram. Um, I feel like that percentage may have surged recently with NQTs and trainees over the first lockdown. Um, I feel like I, I'm a, a teacher that prefers Instagram rather than Twitter. I'm very new to Twitter. Around it. Um, and from what it seems to me is that Twitter is all about threads, advice, debates, uh, whereas Instagram is all about the videos, reels, inspiration, uh, aesthetics, and that sort of provides a source of opportunity to observe others, perhaps that trainees and entities have, have had snatched away by, by COVID. Um, what do, uh, Finn and Jane, what, what do you think about, about social media? Are you a Twitter fan, an Instagram fan, Facebook? I'll leave this one well, over we, to Finn. We have <laughs> <laughs> social media gurus this year, I'm not sure about that. But we've, um, Twitter, I, I think we've got um, 35,000 plus followers. Wow. Um, Instagram, I think we've got 900. Um, wow. Facebook, I think. I, I'm not sure it's maybe 11, 1200 on Facebook. We do do LinkedIn as well. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what uh, LinkedIn is, but um, we, when we first started um, our organization back in um, September of 2015, um, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said to us, oh, Twitter, you must get on Twitter. It's, it's really big for, for teaching, for learning, you know, for teachers. Mm. And we started it back then with zero. And it is, Edu Twitter is massive. But you're right, I think there's a big difference between Twitter and Instagram because Twitter is, um, it is, it is about resources. It is about learning from each other. You know, if you, if you go on there and ask a question, you know, I'm doing this in my class, has anybody got any ideas for that? People do share um, Google Drives with literally hundreds of resources and some really fantastic sharing going on. But there is also a big um, kind of discussion um, available to you on Twitter if that's what you want to do uh, with threads and all of those kinds of things as well. And there are um, there are definite edu celebs on um, on Twitter who do the round of the speaking circuit and written books and all of that kind of business. Um, but I think there's a, a difference in the demographic. Um, in, in Twitter and uh, Instagram. Instagram yeah. feels to us like, you know, you'll have to tell us what you think, but it feels to us like it's more early career teachers, whereas Twitter is right the way through up to, you know, um, head teachers and even beyond education policy and all those kinds of and researchers and, and it's academics as well. So, but mm. having said that, Twitter can be both a really, really supportive um, generous sharing place and not so yeah <laughs> the other side it, it can be quite a difficult place to be sometimes as well so you have to kind of bear that in mind and I, I would say good advice is just don't get involved you know just just go yeah. in there and watch and gather and get information but you you don't need to um you know respond to everything on social media you can just take it and use it 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think what I've sort of put it out there is I've obviously mentioned you know I, my Instagram following is you know not not hugely substantial. I've got just under seven thousand followers, and um, but I've put it out there to them and just said you know Twitter or Instagram, what do you prefer? Obviously they are on Instagram, so they go into prefer Instagram. Um, but like you said, I think it's a lot more ECTs, um, a lot more NQTs. So for, for those in Wales as well, um, trainees perhaps on Instagram. I feel. Perhaps Twitter has the the teaching the, the teachers that perhaps have been doing it longer um, because I mean I know when I trained 13 14 years ago it was very much schools need to have a Twitter page to make sure the parents know what are going what's going on in in the classroom so we we had on our to, weekly to do list when I was an NQT update Twitter page or tweet something you know and I think that sort of um, kept really with, with with the with the teachers out there and educators and academics. I think oh, it just disappeared. Where are you? Oh. Yeah, we can still hear you, Jane. Oh, that's right. I yeah. can't hear Beth. Um, oh. I think we found as well though that through Twitter, Twitter is you can access anybody. And yeah. You know, we've yeah. we've had conversations with, you know people in government, people in Estin, um, educators from across the world. We've made some fantastic connections across um, Twitter. Um, I'm thinking of Finn of Jared Cooney-Holbarth in Australia. Yeah. You know, some fantastic, yeah. you know, academics that you wouldn't normally have had access to, you know, a very quick DM. And then you've got that conversation going. I think that's the one thing for us as well. It's just very much opened up the whole um educational world particularly through covid is that we can all connect with each other yeah because the, the the thing is with twitter is that all those people are on twitter i i don't know if jeremy miles the education minister is on instagram doing some reels <laughs> oh well there you go well he's on twitter and we we sent him a dm and he's he's been on our podcast so you know yeah that, that's one of the advantages is that i think um that twitter people respond on Twitter. And I'm yeah. not sure that, you know, I know that Instagram is one of those things that a lot of people, I mean, we feel a little bit like this, that it's, it's something that we we ought to have a presence on, but mm. in comparison, you know, 900 as opposed to 35,000, it's, oh, yeah. it's never gonna be our, our main focus. And I think that's the same with a lot of um, educators and I'm, I'm talking more widely as, you know, head teachers, schools, those kinds of things. It's, it's never going to be their first um, social media platform because Twitter is just it's a little bit more official like you say that you mm. know with the whole schools have an official Twitter account because it is a little bit more um, official a little bit maybe a little bit more professional in terms yeah. of I don't know how many schools have an official Instagram account I would have thought it's probably a few it's not as many mm. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine uh, many are. As Sophia said, do you find it useful? What's the ROI? Um, I'm assuming that, you know, do, do we find, do you find social media useful? I mean, I know I certainly do in terms of networking and in, like as a source of inspiration, particularly Instagram, where obviously it is very much pictures, um, you know, displays, um sort of lesson plans and, and just the videos of, of actual lessons in actually taking place. Um, I definitely find it, I find it 
obviously you can share things on Twitter, like retweeting again. I'm I'm a Twitter novice, you know. Aside from my time in in school where we had to tweet, um, I feel like it's it's developed from them, and it, it is a more of a uh, dialogues taking place, debates, discussions, um, and I find it a really quite hard to navigate to share something. Whereas on Instagram, you just share to your stories, and you your followers sort of see that then. Um, so I do find I find it useful for that. I, th- I think that partly maybe down to the fact of um, how confident and comfortable and um, you know well versed you are in the different social media platforms because I personally um, use Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, I don't think there are any others that I use regularly, and I find them all they're all different. They've all got different um, you know ways of sharing information. They're you know they're. Twitter for a time actually had the equivalent of um, of reels. They had um, Twitter fleets for a while, but they oh, okay. those because I don't think they were, they were working. But there's always something new, and it always takes a moment to kind of get your head around it and work out how to do it, and you know um, work out how best to approach this. And I think that with the with Instagram, we don't use it as much because we're not as good at understanding how, how to do a reel or how to share or stuff like that. But um, on Twitter, obviously, we know how to do all of those things and hashtags and how mm. they all work. I think one of the benefits that Instagram have over Twitter is that because it's not 280 character limit, it mm. changes the um, the feeling of the platform because you get the opportunity to fully explain what you mean, yeah. to put in detail how you feel about something. And that actually makes it in a... Um, in a certain circumstance, more supportive and yeah. um, less easy to jump in on something and say, oh, well, you didn't mean this, you meant that. You know, <laughs> yeah. so it's a little bit less uh, confrontational than Twitter. I think because originally Twitter was only the 140 characters. Yeah. It was very, very important that people got their point across yeah. really succinctly, straight away. And that has created a, a feeling to the platform where it is quite co- confrontational sometimes quite um interrogative and it it, it feels a little harsher than mm. instagram but I, you know don't be afraid to to get involved because um you know if you if you're on twitter you can now do the threads you can explain yourself in a little bit more fully and i think there's a lot to be said for lurking for being yeah. a, um, a social media platform but not taking part just to just to see what's going on and still get the benefit of, you know, downloading resources or seeing what people are doing or um, seeing mm. the questions everybody else is asking, seeing the answers. I think, like, yeah. you, just, you know, yeah. I was Jane. just going to add into that, Finn, as well, just for, from a professional learning um, aspect, I find Twitter really, really useful because you can go from one thread to another and follow the journey through and follow the conversations, have access mm. to research articles that other people are reading is oh that's really interesting let's let's go and have a look at that that tweet or that thread and you can very often find yourself you know an hour in two hours in going from one thread to another gleaning all this information and the amount that we've learned through twitter over the last oh, yeah. six seven years i think is you know is incredible so if you, if you see it as a professional learning resource then i think you know it's it's really really powerful yeah, uh, Nathan's just uh, texting and said I I lurked on Twitter for years, <laughs> um, and has said I've I've used LinkedIn for eight years. I prefer it. So LinkedIn. So um, Finn, did you say you were on LinkedIn as well? 
yes we are we're we're jane and i are both we both have our personal accounts on linkedin but we also have a, a business page on linkedin mm. and i wouldn't say that we use it avidly but yeah. we do both go in and have a look in there and again one of the advantages to linkedin is that it's not limited to a character number or and it has all of the features that you would expect on a social media you know you can put your videos in and you can put um just a, a message in and and links and all of those kinds of things but i think one of the things about linkedin that is really interesting is that you can put blogs in there you can put articles in there you can um, you know you can link to research so it is a little bit more um I don't know, intellectual maybe, but it gives you more details. Mm. And again, because it's not an anonymous platform, which I think is really important, you know, um, Twitter can be an anonymous platform. If you want to be anonymous, you can be, but LinkedIn, yeah. you can't. You have yeah. to be your professional persona. And I think that's a real advantage because just like Twitter, you can connect with um, people through their professional um, profile and mm. that's that's really nice about but the 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 downside to linkedin is it's not as um popular with people you know you yeah. people don't tend to oh, i'll just sit down and scroll through linkedin this evening yeah it's, it's not quite the same kind of uh, feel to it I, I think there's a comment there in the in the in the chat but from sabia she says also people are more are more professional i would completely mm. agree with that on linkedin you don't tend to get the the pylons that you tend to get in twitter and, and no, because people can trace money. you back to your yeah to your it's, job. It's, yeah. it's, a much, it's a much more safer environment, I think, to yes. share and have a discussion, a professional discussion. Whereas Twitter, sometimes you think, I'm just going to switch this off now. It's it's just gone. Yeah. yeah. Do you know, I just want to say before before we stop talking about social media as such that you know we're talking about kind of the the downsides to, to Twitter and how it can be difficult. It's not always like that. You know, there's there's and you focus in on those cases where somebody says, oh, I don't like this. And, and that's what sticks with you. But, you know, yeah. I think if you go into this with your eyes open and just go, OK, it's just like the world. People say things that aren't very nice sometimes, but I don't have to listen. I can just switch it off. I can mute them. I can block them. I can unfollow them. You know, you don't have to put up with this. And you don't, you know, you don't have to allow it to overtake your life. But I think going in with your eyes open and knowing that it has this small minority who occasionally say things that aren't as, as brilliant as they could be, that shouldn't take away from the fact that it is one of the most useful, most effective professional learning resources out there that is yeah. immediate, is really, really useful. Yeah. And I think lots of people echo that really of the, the listeners that have have said things to me in terms of you know particularly being an NQT in the middle of a pandemic meant I couldn't observe teachers uh, this both Twitter and Instagram provide a fantastic way for me to technically observe others and pick other people's brains that essentially I'd, I'd lost out on I think that's a really really important point um instagram as well although i am an instagram fan a lot of people did say there's a toxic positivity of, of instagram and a sort of guilt that comes with it sometimes of oh, oh why doesn't my classroom look like that why aren't i why don't i have time to, to put, put these lovely aesthetic posts and yeah. hashtags you know i think sometimes that can cause an issue as well bit, it's also pretty perspective that even on your own personal facebook isn't it when you, mm. you've got that the issue is that people only put the good stuff on. Oh, Facebook. yeah. 
and it, you know, it is very much the, you know, the, the shop window and what goes on behind isn't necessary. It's not really yeah. a true representation of what's going on in, you know, in most people's lives. But if you go in with it without knowing that and having that attitude, then you see it for what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I maybe, with, with you know, the, in the future, the, we should, sorry. As was gonna say, was, the pandemic, was... We've all missed out, haven't we, on that social connection, mm. which is why social media has become so important to us all. Yeah, yeah and, and maybe in the future we should have every school should have a social media policy where it's not just about what as a school that they're tweeting, but actually making it clear to everybody in the school, look, there are these fantastic resources out there. Go and have a look at social media. But remember, let's look after each other and know that this is just a snapshot, the very best snapshot, most probably of that teacher or that school or that classroom's um, experience. And this isn't mm. an opportunity to um, see the other side. Because, you know, we often look at, how many times have you heard, right, we're going to look at best practice. Mm. But actually, sometimes you want to look at all practice because we learn so much more from where things fail than we do from where things go well. So, you know, I think social media should be an opportunity to say, right, I did this in my classroom yesterday and it was an unmitigated disaster yeah. and I learned this. That yeah. would be so powerful, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. I'm going yeah. to go back to Sabia. Sorry, uh, I'm doing your job as well, Beth. I'm sorry. <laughs> you do it, Jane. <laughs> something that Sabia has just picked up on. She said there's also a lot of high-quality teachers who don't use social media and yeah. are changing lives all day, every day. I completely agree with that. Mm. If you look at the proportion of teachers that are actually on Twitter, you know, we go into mm. schools and we're in conferences and say, you're on Twitter, you're on Twitter. And very yeah. many people say no. And, the, and, it, and it's remembering that, you know, this isn't representation. Oh, 30%. 30%. Of, yeah, it, it's not a representation of what's going on in classrooms. And we, we know that day by day. And it's just, it's going in with your eyes open and understanding, right, this is just a mm. snapshot of a particular mm. demographic. Oh, we teach children that every day, you know, that they shouldn't always you know images are altered you know we shouldn't believe everything we see we're trying to teach children that and sometimes we should take a little bit of our own advice especially being a, a mem of a six month old baby <laughs> i see things i think how has that woman brushed her hair <laughs> you know and <laughs> you know we, yeah, we're our yeah. worst enemies yeah. sometimes well, um and, and finn, finn will back me up on this is i i am not i'm not happy at all with having um anything videoed or photographs mm. going out but you know you look at our twitter feed and, and we're, we're in it throughout more and more yeah. now through lockdown there's more videos of us because that was the only way that we can communicate and you know yeah. we've got to the point where we'll make a mistake we'll 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 run with it if you listen to any of our podcasts how many times have we we stopped oh sorry about that noise outside or you know yeah we, we, we made a mistake well and i had could to correct each other and you just we just roll with it i could say we, jane that on on Friday afternoon, after we'd done two podcasts, I just looked at uh, Jane across the desk and I said, "I'm sorry, Jane, we've got to do a video now on Twitter about what we've just done." And, like, oh. and we and yes. we did it, and we did it in one take, which is what we always do invariably. And it's like, well, that's good enough because we're just we're we're being real. We're just doing what yeah. we do, and we you know might make a mistake in the middle. And I think that. It is. We just don't um, watch it back. It we? is. Well, this is it. We we bet. I mean, I don't think I've we've done like sixty odd podcasts, and I think I I've, I've listened to one all the way through, and that was the one with the minister. I have. I don't go back and and um, listen to them again because we have somebody who edits them for us. They go out, and once they're out, there's nothing I can do about it anyway. Yeah. So it's just like it's for the business, right? Move on. 
and and not yeah. beating yourself up about where things go wrong. You know, I um, started off doing the Twitter feed um, and now we share it. We do the Twitter feed together every week. And there are times where we get things wrong. I posted something this morning where the link that I posted, um, the university that came from would close the page down and it wasn't there anymore. And it was just like, well, okay, it's not there anymore. And just apologizing to the people who recognized it and deleted mm. the tweet and moved on. You know, it's, mm. it's accepting that mistakes and not getting everything yeah. right at the beginning or saying something out of character occasionally it happens and and don't beat yourself up about it but it's what we teach it's what we teach children you know, learn by yeah. mistakes yeah. own your mistakes and then learn from it yeah. but then the, yeah. that's what we've got to do as a profession um but we've got to start that culture okay things aren't going right let's let's all work mm. together to work out what we're going to do to, to, to make it different and that's echoed by one of the texts here. Unfortunately, people don't like to speak about failures as there's an inherent yeah. shame implied in that. The culture of how we view failure needs to be addressed and changed. Absolutely. Uh, it goes against the very essence of leadership and coaching teaching. Well, the, failure is a really interesting concept in itself because, like you say, that there's this really um, negative image of failure that everybody needs to be a winner and everybody needs to be mm -hmm. best at this and nobody wants to mention their mistakes but actually failure is an essential part of success you cannot be successful without failure but I think failure comes back to social cohesion that if you have made a mistake your tribe will reject you because you've made mm. a mistake, because the tribe wants to be successful. So it's the actual physical pain of mm. being rejected by your tribe. And yeah. that's what it feels like on social media, where someone calls you out or pulls you up on something yeah. that is seen as a mistake. You actually feel that physical pain of, oh, I've been rejected. Mm. And I think that the more we can articulate, the more we can be self-aware as to what failure actually is, and how important it is and that it is a normal and essential part of success that actually it makes it more um, it makes it a lot easier to talk about it in a positive way yeah I think it could be another a whole show about failure and, and the culture of that and why it needs to be changed and you know going into the physiological responses and everything but I'm going to move on just because I can see that there's 10 minutes left and I really want to try and but um, the Sunday surgery, we've had a teacher um, messaging with a with an issue. Um, love to hear your thoughts on it as well. And if anyone wants to text in, that would be amazing. This is the, the problem. I'm really struggling to develop relationships in my school. Started in January 2020, just before the first lockdown, and had to work from home due to health reasons. I now feel that there is a, a, a Essential amount of time has passed, but I failed to make those friendships in school. Have I missed the boat? Um, so a lot of people have um, putting. So I went on. I went on Instagram and shared that. Um, lots of people have, have said to me, "Go into the staff room. Spend more time. It's not too late. Go into that staff room and be more chatty. Try to talk to different teachers um, and reach out for advice. Sometimes I mean." Sometimes that is a great way to start talking to somebody and develop friendships because you need a little bit of advice. Um, I'm not sure what you think. Can I, can, I, can I tell you a little story? Go on, go on, um, tell me. I was, I was um, originally, I'm from England, um, 
I'm I'm half Irish and um, I've lived in Wales for getting on for 30 years now. Mm -hmm. so I feel like it's a bit of a mishmash. I'm not really sure where I'm from, but I was working up the Swansea Valley. Yeah, I won't mention the school. Um, and it was a valley. Uh, it was a, a secondary school, small secondary school in a um, in a very close knit community. There were quite a few teachers there who'd gone to the school themselves, gone away, come back, and they were teaching there. And yeah. I found it so, so difficult to um, make friends because everybody already knew each other. And I would go into the staff room every lunchtime and regularly be ignored and regularly um, have people, you know, sort of switch off in the middle of conversation with me. But I I worked so hard at, you know, hello, mm. how are you? You know, doing all this all of the time. And then um, and then I left. And just before I left, um, I was I was you know, it had been announced, I'm leaving, I'm going off to, to do another job. And this teacher came up to me and she said, oh my God, I can't believe you're leaving, I'm so sad. And she was one of the worst offenders of the entire year. You know, she would regularly flag me on the corridor. And I think you have to remember that it's not just you, it's them as well. It's, you know, relationships are a two-way thing and you just don't know what's going on in their lives. You just don't know how they're coping. They may feel that, that you aren't, um, you know, making an effort and you may feel that they're not making an effort. So unless you're mm. making an effort and even sometimes when you do make an effort, it doesn't quite come up to what you're expecting. It might be what they are. So it, relationships are so, so hard. But I would say that keep making an effort. And, mm. you know, if you find after time that it doesn't, it doesn't work, it may, you may be better off somewhere else that suits your personality better. I don't know. But it, yeah. it's, I just thought it was funny that, I really thought I was making an effort and they just did not care. And actually they did care, which was bizarre, but only once I was leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the, the piece of advice about seeking someone to ask for some advice is a really good step forward. It's about bridging that um, mm. that gap and, and recognising that you know people around with expertise. So think of it, if you've got a particular issue that you want solved, go to see somebody and, and have, try and have, build that chat up. That yeah. Yeah. And I think, obviously, through that, you've you've made that link. From, from ever giving and receiving advice, you've almost got an invisible string attached to you then um, to say, oh, how, how did that advice go that I gave you? Yeah. Um, you know, it sort of stems on later in, in, in the future then for future discussions. Um, yeah, the same sort of thing to bring up uh, another everyday school day um, message me to say just take your time to pop your head around doors I think lots of us are probably feeling like you said a little bit um disengaged perhaps from our colleagues from COVID I mean lots of us were working from home for, for quite a lot of the time missed each other's through, through working in um bubbles um so I think no definitely you haven't missed the boat I think more it's a great time to now start making relationships and um, friendships in, in the school place. It's, it's, all, it's also making it clear that your door is always open for everybody yeah. else. I mean, I yeah. go back to, to working in, in leading a department in school. At the end of the, you know, my door was always open and it was always mm. open for a cup of tea at the end of the day for people to offload and to chat. And if you've got that sort of culture where there is opportunity for you to, to go and talk, because teaching can be very, very isolating. You know, particularly yeah. in, a, in, a, in a large school where, you know, there are some, some members of staff you might never speak to because they teach over the other side of the school and in a different department 
and you don't you never have that connection and it's about you know start with your immediate area and then start to build out Mm. I wonder if it's different in a secondary school to primary because obviously I am primary I've worked in a small primary and I've worked in my current school is 526 people so we're a large primary school um I wonder is it different in terms of I always feel like my colleagues are almost like family I see them so much more than I see my family is that the same in secondary school or is it perhaps more isolated I, than primary I, I think it's down to the culture of the school Mm. I think it's how you feel about the school. Very often, very challenging schools have more of a family and community feel than yeah. some of the, the, the more, um, I don't know how to phrase it, Finn, you're much better at phrasing it than me. Uh, leafy suburbs. Leafy suburbs, thank you. Yeah. I need another coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and that's obviously very generalised, but I think that the harder yeah. the school you're working, the more everyone pulls together and supports each other as a, as a, as a tiny. And I've worked in very challenging schools all my, all my teaching career. And I've certainly found that um, within the school that I'm in. Yes, it's a very challenging school. It's a very difficult school, but I loved working there because of the whole community spirit and the fact that you are all in it together. And it's how you, yeah, and I think you step into that. I think secondary schools, you can be a little bit atomised into your subjects or your corridor mm. um, because secondary schools you know it, in primary schools I I did supply for a while and because I started my teaching career as an English as a foreign language teacher teaching really young kids you know sort of six-year-olds right through to adults that I ended up doing a little bit of supply in, in primary schools as well which is a little bit terrifying but it's a, there's quite a different feel in a primary school it's a much more um, like you say, family environment, mm. and it's a little bit slower, um, a little bit, I don't mean that, that's a, a negative way to say it. it's a little bit more relaxed, <laughs> shall we say, yeah, yeah. because in, yeah. in secondary schools, especially where you've got a challenging uh, cohort, it's, you know, 50 minutes in, out, break, check the corridors, you know, there, there's yeah. quite a lot of pressure and kids are moving around the whole time. So you do, you you do get, um, get sort of sucked into the whole, um, the teacher across the corridor from me or the, the department where I go to meetings on a regular basis, especially if the school's big, where you've got maybe a hundred plus teachers, it's yeah. quite difficult to break into areas that you wouldn't have before. But I think the bottom line is if you make the effort, if you go out of your way, I mean, something I learned fairly early on, if you treat people like your best mate, that's mm. how they'll respond to you, even yeah. if they're not. So if you go up, yeah. like, Oh, hi, how are you? How was your day? You know, yeah. it'd be hard pressed for someone to go, yeah, it's fine, I'm all off. It's just put yourself out there occasionally and, and treat people like your best friends and you will find that they will respond. Yeah, great advice. I'm going to... Oh, go on, oh, go on. Wonders as well. <laughs> it always does. You know, I say that yeah, for difficult yeah. conversations yeah. as well, yeah. Cup of tea. <laughs> on that note, I think we're all going to grab a cup of tea now. Um, <laughs> it's coming up to half past ten. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed doing this breakfast show, albeit a few little technical issues. Thank you so much, Finnegan, for being such wonderful guests. Um, I know that people will feel a lot clearer about the curriculum, the way you talk about it. Um, if they're still not sure, they can go onto your website. I'll obviously, give you the opportunity to plug that now. They can go onto our website, www.impact.wales. Um, if you click Impact Plus, 
you can get access to all of our resources, not just the sketch notes, the professional learning packs, mm. the digital workbooks, the films, the podcasts. There's so much on there, our events as well. Um, and please do feel free to drop us a line as well if there's something that you know you want to find out more about or you want to um, discuss with us, then, then contact us via our website, please do. Thank you so much. And um, thank you to all of the live listeners that have texted in. I've had some lovely comments. We're a lovely live chat. Love listening in today. So that um, fills me a little bit with warmth on this lovely Sunday. Um, hope you have the best Sunday and plenty of rest now before before Monday starts. Jane and Jane, thank you so much. You've been absolutely wonderful. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye. Thanks very much. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. Bye now. Bye.